Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. How'd you feel pulling into the parking lot this morning? Felt a little great, but weird, right? It was great. I love the way Joe put that video together. Uh, what a clever idea, because if you could visit you yourself 18 months ago, how could you possibly believe what you yourself are telling you about how long all this would last, what the country and the world would look like, what your own life would look like? This morning, I want to just share a reminder that God has been faithful. And I want to talk about at least one important implication of that. You know, last March, March 12th, I sent out an email to the congregation. It's probably one of the harder emails I've had to write. And it began with these words, After much prayer, research, and dialogue, we have decided to suspend all in-person gatherings at Harvest Effective Immediately and lasting through at least May 1st. (laughs) This was a difficult decision, but one we felt was necessary. I remember emotionally exactly what it felt like to hit send on that email. And I remember our elders really wringing our hands, wrestling with, is that too far out? I mean, that's almost two months. Are we overreacting? I heard a few people tell me, oh, we're only just getting started. This could last a couple years. I'm like, shut up. There's no way that could be true. And I only listened a little more carefully to people who actually knew what they were talking about. It's hard to believe that it's been 546 days, I think that's the right number, since we were here in this room last. That's 77 weeks, 78 weeks, actually. Almost to the day, 18 months, since we last got to be in here. Do you remember what the early days of the pandemic felt like? What you felt like? Do you remember that pervasive sense of fear and worry because I don't know about you, but this is the first pandemic I've ever lived through. And 18 months of jaded, angry debate later, you might be like, it's not a big deal. But I remember in the early months, I had no idea what was happening. I remember taking Clorox wipes and wiping down the envelopes that I took out of my mailbox. People, I was watching YouTube videos telling us to wipe down every piece of grocery item and the bags, and I was like, this is crazy. We're going to run out of Clorox wipes. And I went to the store to buy more, and there were none. I just remember feeling this constant sense of like, what is going on? Not wanting to leave the house. And then, maybe worst of all, at least for me, was the uncertainty of it all. Like, how long is this going to last? How bad is it going to get? Are our people and those they love going to be okay? Are we going to be okay as a church? We had never suspended in-person gatherings for that long before. And we were going to do it for a couple months, and I just I couldn't figure out, is this going to be okay? Early on in the pandemic, pundits were projecting that one in five churches, especially the small ones, which shut down, closed their doors permanently. And that was hard to even hear about. 
This pandemic has been one of the hardest things we've ever lived through in our lifetimes. The disease is part of the hardship, but our response to the disease, the things we had to do to get through this were just as hard. You know, I haven't really lived through a, a war that felt like it touched my life. I remember seeing 9-11 and thinking that's as close as I've gotten to like an actual warlike event on our soil. But this has really touched every facet of every life. And I want to just think about together how bad it could have been. How many real fears there were at the beginning of all of this. And looking back through time travel like Joe did for the video, how things are different now than they could have been. And in it all, I want to show us that God has been faithful. And there's two kinds of people in the world. There, there are those for whom the glass can be half full and those for whom the glass is always half empty. If you're a half empty person, I get it. There's a lot of reasons to feel that way in this broken world. But I want to encourage you to let go of your negativity for just 30 minutes if you're capable of doing that. And when we say that God is good, that doesn't mean he's good in every item, every request, everything in your life. That just means if you really look for even one sign God has been good, you will find it in your life. There's no human life that has ever been lived that is all dark, all bad, all negative. Despite the lies we want to believe in our hearts, when we look for God's goodness, for the light in our lives, we'll find it. We'll find Him. But it all depends on whether you actually want to look or not. So we're going to look together today. And I want to encourage you just for a moment, for a half hour, look for that. And as I catalog some of the ways God has been faithful to us as a whole church, I want you to be thinking in the back of your mind, how has God also been faithful and kind and loving to me personally? There's still probably a lot of things you're holding that you wish God would take away. A lot of empty pockets in your life you wish God would fill. But look for the ways God has already shown himself faithful. I mean, this disease was devastating enough. There have been a reported 650,000 COVID-related deaths in the United States. There's been a reported 4.5 million deaths worldwide from this disease. So it's killed a lot of people. And as much as people want to say, oh, compared to other things, let's just pause for a second and say, even if 4.5 million is inflated, it can't be inflated by that much. That's still millions of people who lost their lives, each loss, each death, a real tragedy for a family. And yet, through all of this, we've really emerged relatively unscathed by this virus. It's touched some of us, but thank God that it hasn't touched as many of us as it could have. When I look at the things we've done to combat COVID, whether you agree with those measures or not, these things have happened. We can't change any of that. And they have been austere measures. Businesses closing, schools closing, churches closing. People having to wear masks, people being distanced from one another. It has wreaked havoc on society. Our opinions don't change the history of it one bit. It's all happened. We're 18 months into this, and in all that measures that we've taken, so many bad things could have happened and have 
And yet still, when I look at the way God has taken care of us, I marvel at his faithfulness. You know, economically speaking, and maybe I can just uh, look at this here. Last year, around June or May, it was reported that about a third of small to medium-sized businesses had closed. Some had closed temporarily. Some have remained closed. The last number I saw was that this January, there were 37% fewer small businesses than last January. So it's a pretty significant deal. The smaller companies have not fared well through this. Last April, unemployment reached 14.7%. That's crazy. We've rebounded quite a bit since then. But overnight, like 20 and a half million people found themselves out of work. That's scary when you depend on that paycheck to take care of yourself and your family. And yet I think about how badly this could have affected us, and I marvel that most of us have been okay. The vast majority of us. Now as you're hearing this, remember I just said, I'm not saying that it's been okay for everybody. I'm not saying, oh goody, it's just been good for us, forget the rest of the world. I'm not saying any of that, so please don't lose focus and think that that's what I'm saying. We're going to get to the rest of the world shortly. But I just want to pause because I think it's important to do that when God takes care of a specific group of people, that that specific group of people time out and just thank Him and acknowledge Him. Because it could have been devastating for many of us. And I'm not entirely sure we would be prepared to cover the mortgage of a third or a fourth of our church If some people all of a sudden lost their income, I don't know that we would have been prepared for that. I think we would have done our best. But I just want you to think about what a bullet we dodged through all the economic downturn related to this pandemic. When I think about church, God has been so faithful. By last June, it was observed by Barna Research, the leading Christian research group, that nearly a third of practicing Christians at the start of the pandemic, use that as an opportunity to exit church completely. I'm not talking about they stopped going to in-person service. They didn't go, go digitally. They basically just bailed on church altogether. That's nearly one out of every three practicing Christians just gave up church. And, and I wonder why they kept going before that. Maybe it's because people would see them, they would miss them. But once we shut our doors, a lot of people realize, I don't actually need this in my life. I'm totally content to not have this be a part of my existence. And they bailed. Just as alarming is that they reported 29, that's nearly one in three pastors over the last 18 months for the first time gave serious thought to leaving full-time ministry altogether. Not just their particular church, but just stopping pastors because it was a really, really hard time to be a pastor. I can relate just a little bit. But my experience has been really weird because I am in this really great church and I have so much support around me. But some of my friends, this has been just a living nightmare for them as pastors. What's interesting is a lot of pastors in answering these surveys said the hardest part has not even been the pandemic or not seeing people. It's been how divided and angry and contentious everybody has gotten how all this isolation has brought out the worst in our people so that I don't even feel like we have a us anymore. And that's been challenging. And I've seen church after church devastated by what has happened in the last 18 months. Yet I look around this room 
And it doesn't seem that much emptier than what I remembered before the pandemic. God has held us together. I thank God that He's held our leadership together. Our elders have not quit on us. At times I think they were tempted to. Man, was this a hard, hard year and a half for our elders, for our deacons, for our staff, for all of our leaders, the small group leaders. It has been a really tough year, and yet God has held us together. Not only has He preserved our staff, He grew it. We grew by two staff during this. It's kind of crazy to think about. And yet God is at work here at Harvest. You know, when I look at our finances as a church, it's remarkable to see that when you look from March 2020 to August 2021, that last nearly 18-month period during which we, we had the pandemic, giving actually rose compared to that same period the year before. That's hard to believe. A lot of churches have seen their giving drop by 50% or more. And I'm just so grateful. Right now we have enough cash in our operational account, our reserve fund. That's our our fire extinguisher fund, you know, the, the break class in case of emergency. And our building fund, that all that put together is in excess of our annual budget. We're in good shape. And I just think it's important to acknowledge God and to acknowledge you and to report publicly we're in sound financial condition in spite of everything. And that really, we need to give thanks and honor to God. Because that means we're in a position to be a blessing to others as well right now. We're not so completely caught up in survival for ourselves that we cannot be generous and and in service of God and others right now. We are in a wonderful position to be the hands and feet of Christ without worrying about whether we're going to see tomorrow as a church. And I just want to thank God for that because that is a miraculous thing to think about. I could go on and on, but the point is there were so many ways that this could have unraveled us as a church. And I'm only talking about us as a church right now. Your own life may have gone through the ringer, and I really will, we will address that in a minute. But as a church, this could have been so devastating. And instead, it has been a testimony of the faithfulness and the kindness and the mercy of God. And I am so grateful that we've not only survived it, but we're emerging in really, really good shape. I'm not just puffing us up to give us false encouragement. Look around the room. Think about where we are. This building, the fact that we're back in here, is a tangible reminder that God is carrying us through. It's weird for me to think about how most kids hate this building. This is our school. They don't want to be here. But you know what? This is home for us as a church. I missed being in this room surrounded by the flags of the nations, and it feels like I was coming home, coming here. And I just was reminded again that God has carried us all the way through this, and he's going to see us all the way through the end. There's this beautiful word in Hebrew for which there's no good equivalent in English or in in Greek. It's this word hesed. I think you're supposed to pronounce it with more of a but right now I have some allergy issues, so I'm not going to try it. It's this beautiful word 
which the Hebrew people, when they said it, it wasn't just like they were describing an idea. They felt something deep in their gut. Every language seems to have certain words like that that don't translate well into other languages, but everyone who's a native knows what we're talking about. When you hear or say that word, there's a gut feeling. Chesed is one of those words. It describes a kind of love, whether between people, but primarily and especially between God and people, that is hard to describe in just one simple word. Love is a really good word to capture it. But love can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. It's translated in various ways in English Bibles. Loving kindness, mercy, favor, steadfast love, and unfailing love. Look at those attempts to translate it, and you'll understand right away, that's the kind of love everyone dreams is possible, we yearn for, but rarely experience, but it is what we would define as love. It's the coming together of a really kind, gentle, soft-hearted care for someone, mixed with mercy and favor that is not deserved, and it lasts forever. It's not here today, gone tomorrow. There's no expiration date on this love. It is for all time. You can count on me. I'm not going anywhere kind of love. This is the word repeatedly used to describe the love of God throughout the Bible nearly 250 times in the Old Testament. The God of Israel, the God of the church, is described this way in what he feels about us. There's this beautiful passage in Psalm 36 that describes what this love looks like in the actual practice of a human relationship with God. The psalmist writes, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. This is a poetic expansion of what that word has said means, what biblical divine love looks like. It's the love we long for, it's the love we should aspire to. And this kind of love, Hesed love, is so central to who God is that if you only have space in your brain for one thought about God at all, it should be this thought that that is who God is. That's how He feels about you and me, that's what He's like at the core of His being. He isn't just loving like we are. But the Apostle John declared exuberantly. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because what? God doesn't just have love. He doesn't just show love. God is love. If there's only one thought you ever carry in your heart and your mind about what God is, it should be this one thought. Chesed love perfectly describes the essence of God. There are other facets of God, of course. There is His righteousness, His wrath, all of it, but all of it is defined around the central sun of the love of God. 
You can't understand any component of God apart from this love of God. If you have only one thought, the last dying thought on your deathbed about what God is, who He is, what He's like, should be this thought. That God is love. God has been loving to us as a church this way. And I know despite the words and the ideas that are ringing in your head right now because of the last month or two, the last day or two in your own story, the loss, the longing, all of that, it may be hard for you to think about this love of God in your life. Which is why I think it's important for us not to just naturally be led there, but to be called to be led there right now. And when we do see evidence of the love of God, in spite of all the other hard stuff, we shouldn't keep that to ourselves. We should tell someone else. We should brag, we should boast about the fact that in spite of all this mess that this broken world is, I still see God, and that's a miracle in itself. He still shows up. It could be as small a thing as I was running late to my doctor's appointment and someone literally pulled out and left the primo parking spot just in time for me to make that appointment. It could be something that small. Or it could be something as significant as I got married during COVID. We actually had a baby during this. I started a new business during this. It could be something significant like that. It could be that something horrible happened in my life. And I didn't think I was going to survive it. But every day, God carried me through by the power of the love of faithful people, by just His quiet voice talking to me in the night, I'm with you, you're okay. Here's what I like to do, and one of the commitments I want to make moving forward is <clears throat> people have pointed out lately that our church and almost every North American church service is primarily built up to sitting for 40 minutes and watching one man talk, one woman talk. That feels weird to me, and, and I didn't realize how weird it should be that that's all it is. I, a commitment I'd like to make to us as a church is I want to involve all of us much more in the process of worshiping God. Not just hearing something, maybe agreeing or disagreeing, walking out with an opinion, but sharing the process of worshiping God together. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you are an introvert, please don't write me hate mail. This will actually be good for you if it's not comfortable for you. I'm going to ask you to just find someone around you. And if you want to share this with the person you came with, that's great. But it might be even more interesting to share it with somebody that you didn't come with. Just somebody you don't know that well around you. But I want to ask you to grab one person near you and just share a story or two of the ways that you've seen God faithful in your life or maybe in the life of someone you care about. I know this is stretching for some of us, but you'll see that as you begin to do it, God will work among us. And so I want to give us six minutes, and if you're doing this with somebody else, just sort of divvy it up in your mind as each of us will take about half that time, about three minutes. And two of those minutes will be spent warming up to it. And then, <clears throat> and then you'll get to share for about a minute, and then the timing will run out, and we'll be back together. So try to get right to it. Find someone near you, and let's just get into it for about six minutes. Can we do that? Hey, I know that uh, this is not an easy kind of thing to do, but if you could hear the difference in volume in this room from when we started to when we're ending, I'm grateful. I know for some of us, the way that we're wired, 
Doing this with someone else is extremely trying. Maybe our pride won't let us give any space for admitting that God is good when life isn't good. But maybe in the quiet of your own heart, when no one else is around you, you might take a small risk and say, God, what if I just let you in a little crack through a sliver of light and just maybe for a moment open myself to the possibility that in spite of everything, you're still good. If it's hard to do around other people, can I encourage you to do that in the quiet of your own life, your own heart? And if you found, just, I'd just love to see a show. How many of you found this was really good, helpful for you? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed sharing back there with someone myself and uh, retelling the story. It's a story I've told 20 times now. I'm not bored of the story because it's a story of God in our life. In 1996, the year after we started this church, I came across this cartoon, the Washington Post. <clears throat> I think it was the Washington Post anyway. It was a, a cartoon by Brian Crane. And he was showing the difference between cats and dogs. If you're a cat lover, I'm sorry. The cat's the villain in the story. If you're a dog person, woof woof. <clears throat> but it's a story of a cat and a dog in the same house receiving identical care from the same woman but with a very different conclusion. Chow time, Roscoe. She feeds me every day and cares for my every need. She must be a god. And here's yours, Muffin. She feeds me every day and cares for my every need. I must be a god. <clears throat> Sorry, cat people, but come on. If you can train your cat to come at command, then I'll... I'll I'll detract this cartoon, but <laughs> I've owned both cats and dogs, and I think this isn't so far from the truth. As funny as that is, it was jarring enough for people who saw that cartoon back in 96 that somebody actually wrote a book called Cat and Dog Theology. I wonder which one you're more like if you're honest about it. As God does more and more to bless you, and in the midst of all the things that are not well in your life, there's a lot that is. And maybe, like the cat, we just assume, I'm entitled to this. This is normal. I should have a good job, lots of money. I should have this. I should have that. And I'm going to key in on the one thing I don't have, because that's what's broken about the world. And maybe every blessing feeds the idea that I'm supposed to have this. Or maybe you're more like the dog, and every blessing makes you more mindful that someone is taking care of me. Which are you? And maybe for a lot of us, we're neither one or the other all the time. Maybe you're more like Nickelodeon's character, Cat Dog. I grew up watching this with my kids. I love this show. It's like this being, this creature that was so conflicted in itself. Maybe pulling up this picture for the sermon slides, maybe you want to go back to old episodes and watch it. But maybe this is more what you feel like. Some days I'm a cat, some days I'm a dog. The point is this, what does blessing do in you? Because I would say, one of the greatest ways to reveal the deepest truth about your faith is not how you respond to suffering, but how you respond to blessing. 
I think you learn a lot about yourself and how you respond to hardship. What's really, really telling is how you respond to the good times when things are going very right for you. God made a promise to Abraham, and our salvation story is deeply rooted in what God did in the life of a man named Abram. That's one of the places in Scripture where the salvation story that culminates in Jesus really begins in human history. And he says in this great promise to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Those two ideas have always been inseparable in the Bible. God, without a doubt, blesses the people He loves, just as anyone who is good would bless those they care about. But He has never had a design to bless people and leave it there, for it to end there. It has always been blessed in order to be a blessing. I grew up hearing this illustration over and over. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe this will be new for you. But people contrast the Dead Sea with the Jordan River. The Dead Sea is dead. Have, raise your hand if you've ever been to the Dead Sea. Rubbed its mud on your skin, floated on the surface. It's so filled with salt that the buoyancy is unbelievable. You could just float on the surface. And it's that way because there's no outlet. All the water flows in and it just sits there, collects and pools and nothing ever happens. It doesn't go out and so everything in it is dead. Because you can't have inflow and no outflow and maintain life. The Jordan River, however, is constantly moving. What comes in just goes right back out and more comes in and more goes out. And so the Jordan River is teeming with life and the Dead Sea is dead for a reason because all it does is collect a mass, a crew, pool, and nothing lives in it. The promise of God and our own salvation is rooted in this idea that God will bless us, but He absolutely expects us to be a blessing as well. The Apostle Paul picks up this idea in 2 Corinthians 9, 8-11. He says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And as is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through, through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I want to point out that while the majority of us and we as a church have fared remarkably well in the face of a global pandemic and an economic downturn, that's not the case for everyone in this room and it's certainly not the case for everyone in the world. Some people in our world have been disproportionately devastated by coronavirus but also by our societal response 
to the disease. And I'm not here to debate whether that response was necessary or not. It's already happened. But what I want to observe is that response, necessary or not, has devastated some people's lives. It has created damage that is so deep, it may take a lifetime to recover. And as we think about the faithfulness of God, and how strangely disproportionate and skewed God's blessing is to this group of people versus others outside, or maybe even this group of people versus some in this room. As you're looking at that disparity, wondering why, how do you explain the seeming randomness, the arbitrariness of God? Why does one person get everything and another person gets nothing? Why are some filthy rich and others starving to death? How does that work? And we see in Scripture a revelation of God's design. That one of the ways He intends to equally distribute things is through the obedience and faithfulness of those He's blessed. That's always been His plan. As I close this time together, I want to highlight, there are so many groups out there who have really struggled through this pandemic. I want to highlight several scenarios, groups of people, and I want to ask you to make a commitment as I, I highlight them. To commit yourself to do something in the life of at least one person who is in this category. I want to say at the onset, we can't help everyone, but we can help someone. And it's one of the things we have to accept. I know that some of us have such a big heart, we want to save the whole world, and that's a good desire. It's an unrealistic expectation. It will make you frustrated with yourself and everyone around you. God is big enough for that. But we have enough to at least help someone. Start there. Help one person. And maybe it'll grow to several people. And maybe a people group. We can't do everything. But we can do something. So begin there. Start at something you can actually do. And don't just listen and agree. I'm asking you as your pastor to make a commitment in your heart. To pray, act, give, serve, do something tangible to be the answer to a prayer. To be the means by which God who has blessed you will bless someone else. And often the greatest blessing we give to someone else is in an area where we experience the greatest pain. That's why recovery programs are almost entirely staffed by former addicts. Because they know what it feels like to go through that hell. So think about which one of these groups tugs at your heart the most and make a commitment in your heart that I'm going to do something to pray and stand in the gap, give and act and serve on behalf of someone in my life who fits this category. There are those who are struggling financially. And this economic downturn, in spite of $6 trillion of government stimulus relief, there are millions still in need. It's led a lot of experts to wonder if the money found its way to the people who actually needed it most. And I agree about, with those critics because they kept throwing checks at me for, for stimulus relief and I didn't need it. I'm so moved by some of you who agreed and gave that money to some other cause. Said, I don't actually need this help, but someone else does. And a number of you have reached out and said, do you know a person who needs something? Can I give the stimulus check to someone? And not just buy another iPad or something. There are some people 
who disproportionately have been financially hurt by this pandemic and society's response to it. That's the honest truth. By and large, this church is made up of middle-class people and upper-middle-class people, but there is a working class in America that has been devastated by the response to this pandemic. Maybe some of you have someone you love in your life who has been really hurt by this, and you see it up close and personal, how hard it is to suddenly have so little when you need so much help. I want our church to be as generous as we can. And I was really encouraged when the call went out to help some of these Afghan, Afghani refugees coming to start a new life here. I, I saw amazing generosity poured out. I want to encourage you, commend you for that. And I want to tell you that is a small taste, a picture of what God is calling us to do right here in our own country, in our own backyard. This very area right here, Chicagoland, is filled with people whose lives have been devastated economically by the last 18 months. And I know that if I were in that category, one of the places I would, whether I was religious or not, one of the places I would expect some help to come from would be the people of God. If that tugs your heart, if that tugs at you, I'm asking you to make a commitment in your heart to be the person God uses, to be a blessing to someone else because you've been blessed, and to consider being challenged to do it at a level that is recklessly beyond what you've done before. Not a gesture, but maybe even a lifestyle alteration. To really stand with someone who has next to nothing. I want to just give you a second to pause and listen for if God is telling you this is your call right now. Would you be a person of relief to someone carrying that impossibly heavy weight? There are some in our church who are right at the front lines of loving and caring for those people. Let them lead you to where your life, your resources need to go. There are also those who are struggling with mental health. This was a growing issue before the pandemic, but man, has this pandemic done a horrible number on those who have wrestlings with mental health and emotional health. The fear and isolation of lockdown, quarantine, it has led to such a huge spike in all kinds of mental health issues. And a lot of that is being expressed in metrics that we're picking up about things like addiction, overdose deaths, suicide. This has been a record year for all those things. People are living in despair and hopelessness, a level of brokenness so deep they're not sure how they're going to get out. And the world is still going through a lot of this, and they're really losing it. For some of us, that's us or someone very close to us, but I want you to look up around you as well because there are some people you might work with every day who are hiding it well, but are falling apart inside. It might be a neighbor who you notice you haven't seen in weeks pop out of their house. Do you know that in the United States, a neighbor could die and many of us wouldn't know for weeks until the smell hit us. 
that someone right next door to us has passed away. I think God is calling us to be attentive to the people who become background wallpaper for our lives. To take notice of those who are struggling, even with a brave face, they're dying inside. Others are not even hiding anymore. Everything is falling apart. And they're struggling. And what they don't need is lectures about their attitude. What they need is support. What they need is someone to be a person of real comfort to stand with them in that deep, heavy place where they have to carry that weight. If you've ever had mental illness, mental health issues of your own, I hope that it makes you sensitive and compassionate to other people around you who have that plight. And if you're in a place where you're wrestling with it or you know someone who's wrestling with it, would you take a look around you? I also want you to know that young people have been hit the hardest I'm 53, next month I turn 54. I forgot what it felt like to be young. I claim I know, but I don't remember. I think I've been an old man for a really long time. But I vaguely recall that when I was young, it mattered so much to me to be around other people. And 18 months of isolation has been really, really hard for our young people. Some of them are broken so deeply we cannot really imagine how far it's gone. Start with the young people you live with in your own house. Be more attentive, more compassionate, more caring to them. But then can I really invite you to look around at your neighborhood, at your church, at your workplace, and ask God to take, help you take notice of at least one young person who needs Special care, attention, a person of comfort. It's a really lonely experience from what I've been told to wrestle with your mental health. No one else seems to understand. Would you be a person of comfort for someone like that? Because this pandemic has been really, really hard for some people. third group are those who are feeling spiritually empty. We recently observed in the the beginning of this message that nearly a third of practicing Christians bailed on church in the first three months of this pandemic. And I think what that tells me more than anything is that when you take away the external scaffolding of the church, a regular structured meeting where we get together and think about God, you take that away and many people find, I don't think about God at all really. Outside of that gathering once a week, I don't think about him at all. I find I don't even really need him that much. I don't want him that much. And that's maybe a good place to be because at least it's honest. At least it's an admission that take away all those people around me who give me a vibe of God. And I don't really have God in my life. And there's some people who are okay with that right now and there are others who are really distressed by that. We're discovering that without the church, I don't even have Jesus right now. And they're feeling the deadness, a flatness inside that really causes distress. And I know that some of us are really especially sensitive to people in that plight. And I want to ask you, would you be a person refreshing to someone who's finding that with the church not looking the way it used to, 
with 18 months of this weirdness, they're discovering that God is not real to them. And they're not sure what to do about that. Maybe it's someone very close to you. Maybe it's someone sitting right next to you that you've never noticed. Just take a moment to think about whether this is what God is calling you to. I'm going to end here with one last group. That's those who are feeling divided and angry. I think sometimes when you lock people in, isolate them, we live in our own heads, but we also get a safe distance to judge and observe the world around us without actually touching the world around us. The world around us just gets reduced to opinions and policies and decisions, attitudes, not people. And a lot has happened in the last year. A lot that legitimately should divide and upset us. I'm not saying that the division and anger is inappropriate or unfounded, but it is a toxic way to live for an extended period of time. I don't care if your anger and your sense of dividedness and conflict are for good reason. That doesn't change the fact that it is toxic to your soul and to your heart to live that way. And some people are just in that place societally, but some people in their own home are that way. This has been a mixed bag with this isolation of the pandemic. Some families locked in together have grown closer. Other families have had the opposite experience. And for some, their greatest division and conflict and anger exists right in that house where they live. And it's a really hard place to be. And they can't fix the situation. And they can't turn off the hurt that that creates the triggering effects all the time and it's poisoning their heart how do you fix America everything triggers me right now how do I fix the whole country I can't but I can begin this way to to recognize that the anger and the toxicity of that divisiveness in my spirit is going to kill me and kill others and maybe you see that in someone close to you And maybe God is calling you to be a person of peace in their life. Not to try to fix everything that makes them angry, but to just remind them there's at least one relationship where we have found a common ground to stand on, a bridge of peace to cross. That I can still love you in spite of disagreement. There's still a way forward even though my heart has died inside. Will you be a person of peace because sometimes a person in that situation has given up and lost the the effort, the energy to even try to fight? But when we rally in their lives and we join hands with them and say, I will fight with you and I will fight for you, that can make the difference in saving a life, in saving a family, a neighborhood, a friendship. Many of us see that fire burning and we throw our little cup of gas onto it. Can I challenge you? Is God calling you right now to stop being a fire starter and start being a person of peace? Please don't drop your activism for what is right. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm tired of watching our country burn as everyone throws their cup of gas onto the raging fire. It makes me feel hopeless apart from Christ. Will you be 
a bridge builder and a person of peace. I want you to pause and just review this list. There are other groups, of course, but these are four groups that have really been devastated by the last 18 months. And if you're in a place of wellness and flourishing and health, if you've been blessed, will you commit right now in your heart to be one of these people to one of these people? Start there. In fact, even invite God to give you the face, the name, if you can't think of someone, but your heart is pulled. Ask Him to make you extremely attentive the moment you walk out of this building. Because that person might be right in front of you every day. And I want to call us together as a church, not just to be a religious group, but together with all our resources and our collective strength to care about these people and these issues with our gathered strength as a church. That's what we would be about. We have been blessed. We've come home. But we are called to be a blessing as well. Let's do that as a church. Let's commit ourselves to it. So I'm going to invite you to take a minute. And if you need to keep staring at the screen and and invite God to, to lead you to commitment, that's great. And if you are going to make a commitment, would you share it with one person you trust who will help hold you accountable to follow through? Let's just respond to God in the quiet of this moment. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.